Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Friday, March 18th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, should we be making a greater effort to reduce light pollution? Plus, scientists are trying to use murder hornets' own sexual behavior to eradicate them. And an app that will help you safely find and eat roadkill. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. I once read that before electric light, people could see more in the darkness. Their eyes were more adjusted for the dim and the blackness of night. That's part of why some writers' descriptions of the woods at night and the like don't always make sense to us now or seem extra fantastical. As Paul Bogard points out in his book, The End of Night, a single 75-watt incandescent light bulb burns 100 times brighter than a candle. So back in the days when a candle may have been all you had, you still weren't really seeing much. Quoting Bogard, Historian E. Roger Eckert reports that pre-modern observers spoke sarcastically of candles that made darkness visible, and a French proverb advised, By candlelight, a goat is ladylike. And continuing from Bogard, Travelers considered moonlight to be the safest option for nighttime navigation, and lunar phases were watched far more closely than they are today. End quote. I haven't read Bogard's The End of Night, but I've read a few chapters of one of his other books, The Ground Beneath Us, From the Oldest Cities to the Last Wilderness, What Dirt Tells Us About Who We Are. And it is endlessly fascinating, so I'm sure The End of Night is as well. It's been on my TBR for years. But back to nighttime and the advent of electric lighting towards the end of the 19th century and how it changed the world, how it changed our cultures, sleeping and overall health, and how it affected animals. Quoting the BBC, The sun is basically like a clock, says Brett Seymour, a behavioral ecologist at Washington University in St. Louis. The reliable rhythm of night and day gives plants and animals signals for natural cycles of feeding, mating, migrating, and navigating. Humans are altering this natural rhythm by flooding the world with artificial light. But the light that beams from skyscrapers, office blocks, streetlights, and homes doesn't just light what we need, it spills into the habitats of animals, and it scatters into the atmosphere, creating a sky glow that can extend around 150 miles from large towns and cities. More than 80% of the world lives under light-polluted skies, a figure that rises to over 99% for European and U.S. populations, and it's getting worse. Light pollution is growing at twice the rate of global population increase. End quote. Now, first, that light pollution is not great for us humans. It can alter our natural circadian rhythms and has been linked to mood disorders, diabetes, and an increased risk of several cancers. A study in 1991 even found that we don't necessarily need more sleep. We just need to spend more time in darkness like our forebears. But we are not the only ones impacted by it. Light pollution makes it more difficult for nocturnal insects to find food because it changes their foraging behavior. Artificial light confuses male fireflies when mating since it looks similar to their own bioluminescence. The suppression of melatonin caused by artificial light can disturb the internal clock for growth in fish. Some bats also associate artificial light with predators, and migratory birds who use the stars to navigate regularly collide with buildings in urban areas where the stars are obscured and the light causes fog and glare. 
That bird issue is so common that some cities have volunteer organizations to pick up the dead birds every morning. Some cities have also begun implementing different types of lights-out programs, initiatives which call for dimming or turning off street lights, building lights, and residential lights for a certain number of hours overnight, especially during peak migration periods. One of the most recent studies on these initiatives showed that dimming building lights at night cut bird deaths down by 60%. And the International Dark Sky Association works with jurisdictions to declare areas dark sky reserves, defining those as, quote, a public or private land possessing an exceptional or distinguished quality of starry nights and nocturnal environment that is specifically protected for its scientific, natural, educational, cultural, heritage, and or public enjoyment. End quote. And even when a town can't commit to fully becoming a dark sky place, as Flagstaff, Arizona, was the first to achieve 20 years ago, the IDA can help cities reduce their light pollution through, quoting the BBC, measures such as shielding lights so they point downwards instead of spilling upwards into the sky, adding timers and dimmers, and avoiding the blue-white light spectrum, which increases glare and has a greater adverse impact on wildlife. End quote. Reducing light pollution helps the animals, the ecosystem, our human health, and can cut costs. But even though it's one of the few sustainability actions that makes a difference as soon as you do it, as soon as you turn out the lights, it can still be tough to get people on board. Seymour, the behavioral ecologist from St. Louis, explains that there's an assumption these days that more light is better and safer. But as anyone who's driven at night and been on the receiving end of someone else's brights knows, too much light can create glare and shadows that actually decrease safety. And a lot of proponents simply want to see us connect with nature and the sublime again, to get back in touch with our roots and the ways we used to use the moon and the stars as tools in our everyday lives, and as some people in certain cultures and geographic locations still do. Bogart does level that completely turning out the lights is not the answer. He told the BBC, quote, Let's have light, but let's use it responsibly and intelligently, rather than just blasting it all over the place. Because, he says, of the huge intangible costs of light pollution, quote, What do we lose when we can't walk out and come face to face with the universe? End quote. And on that note, I want to end with this poem about darkness from Emily Dickinson, who had a very different connection to darkness and the night sky than we do today. We grow accustomed to the dark. When light is put away, as when the neighbor holds the lamp to witness her goodbye, a moment, we uncertain step for newness of the night. Then, fit our vision to the dark and meet the road, erect. And so of the larger darkness, those evenings of the brain, when not a moon disclose a sign or star come out within. The bravest grope a little and sometimes hit a tree directly in the forehead, but as they learn to see, either the darkness alters or something in the sight adjusts itself to midnight and life steps almost straight. In today's business world, any edge could be huge. And nobody offers more timely business advice than the Harvard Business Review. Whether it's their flagship magazine or digital content featuring articles, videos, podcasts, and more, you'll gain real-world insight into the most pressing topics facing business today. And now, for just $10 a month, you'll have unlimited access to Harvard Business Review content and subscriptions. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code BUSINESS. That's hbr.org slash subscriptions, promo code BUSINESS.
So yesterday I mentioned the giant red-headed centipede, and how it's one of many creatures even more horrifying than the overhyped Joro spiders. But another relatively overhyped insect is still making headlines over two years after first being identified in the US. Murder hornets, or Asian giant hornets, are still at large in the Pacific Northwest where entomologists have been working hard to manually remove the hornets who prey on honeybees. You've maybe seen the photos of the stormtrooper-looking scientists with high-tech hornet-removing vacuums. Giant hornets are also technically fatal to humans, if you are allergic to their venom, and mostly just look pretty terrifying because they're so massive, about an inch and a half to two inches long. They really are no joke as a threat to the fragile honeybee population, though. Quoting Gizmodo, The hornets notoriously decapitate bees and then carry their thoraxes home as food for larvae. When under attack, the bees make a sound that researchers believe is akin to screaming. Honeybees do have some defenses to the hornets. By huddling together and shimmering in specific patterns, the bees can confuse hornets seeking to attack any individual bee. Bees also smear the entrance to their hives with animal poop as a deterrence, and some unfortunate hornets even get cooked alive by bees that vibrate around them, generating temperatures hot enough to kill the invaders. End quote. Short of adopting any of the honeybees' defensive techniques, entomologists recently figured out a way to use the giant hornet's sexual instincts against them. They started by capturing virgin giant hornet queens in Yunnan, China, and swabbing their sex glands. They then used gas chromatography mass spectrometry to identify pheromone compounds from the queens. The team then isolated those major components of the female sex pheromone, which presents as an odor blend that's attractive to males. And by including that blend in sticky traps, they succeeded in capturing thousands of males. One benefit of this almost cruel kind of technique, as co-author James Nia pointed out, is that the pheromone compounds make it a highly specific trap, so they don't end up capturing any other insects, which means they reduce their ecological impact. Quoting again, The main pheromone compounds the team identified were hexanoic acid, octanoic acid, and decanoic acid. Hexanoic, or caproic acid, has a fatty, cheesy, sometimes urinous odor. Octanoic acid has a slightly rancid odor and is found naturally in some animal milks. And decanoic acid has a similarly pungent scent and is used in some fruit flavorings. The murder hornet drones go wild for this chemical cocktail. Pest management vis-a-vis pheromones is already a big industry, but humans and bees alike would be particularly eager to see the success of these pheromone traps on the Asian giant hornet. If vacuum-wielding humans can't eradicate them, perhaps the animal's own reproductive instincts will, end quote. And it's pretty wild to see how much effort is going into getting rid of these giant hornets. Or maybe we're just hearing more about this particular case because every outlet knows that we will all click on anything to do with murder hornets. But I mean, really, when you see a headline called, Researchers could lure murder hornets to their deaths with sex, how do you not click? If you've never lived in a rural area, this might sound a little weird to you, but it really is pretty smart. The state of Wyoming has a new app for claiming roadkill. 
And we're talking big game roadkill mostly, deers, elk, that sort of thing, not like rabbits. And while people have long collected poor animals hit by vehicles and turned them into several free meals for a whole family, it was only recently that Wyoming joined 30 other U.S. states in explicitly making the activity legal and enacting certain safety measures around it. The new app, which lives on the larger Wyoming Department of Transportation app, is a part of that. The app helps people quickly find and claim accidentally killed deer, elk, moose, wild bison, or wild turkey. Usually, you'd have to know the person who hit the animal and hope you could find enough people to share it with or find someone to help you skin and freeze the meat. Getting the animal off the road as quickly as possible also helps prevent further accidents. For example, a lot of scavengers like coyotes and eagles will get hit themselves while trying to feed on the injured animal. And roadkill cannot be collected after dark for similar safety reasons, nor can it be collected on interstate highways, construction zones, or national parks. And and you have to take the whole thing, at least in the state of Wyoming. You can't just claim the antlers or hide as trophies or to sell. Quoting the Associated Press, the Wyoming app helps to collect data. By geotagging roadkill with their phones and documenting the species, app users will contribute to the data that help Wyoming wildlife biologists and highway officials decide where to install wildlife crossing signs and other ways of reducing critter deaths. Wyoming is famous for its abundant wildlife and big game migration routes that are among the longest in North America. From keeping roadsides mowed to installing warning signs and multi-million dollar wildlife underpasses along migration routes, Wyoming officials have been trying to reduce the at least 6,000 animals killed on the state's roads each year, end quote. So the app is kind of like a dating app. If it truly works, it will make itself redundant. That's unlikely to happen for real in this case, but the theory holds. You know, the more people tag animals they've hit or claimed, the more data the state will have to help them create solutions to avoid animals being hit in the first place. And there are other benefits to the app, too. People who claim the animals can send in samples, like of lymph nodes, to be tested for chronic wasting disease, described by AP as, quote, a neurological illness similar to mad cow disease that's been spreading through U.S. deer populations for decades, end quote. It's just one more data point that the state can use to help improve the conditions of wildlife and the health and safety of humans and animals alike. Man, in New York City, we have apps for picking up free used seltzer machines off people's stoops. And in Wyoming, their apps tell them where the freshest roadkill is. America really is a country of so many different worlds. I've been meaning to mention this all week, but Rivers Cuomo, the lead singer of Weezer, just made his own Wordle spinoff called Weasel. Cuomo has some coding experience and also partnered with Marcus Ng to build what basically looks like the dark mode version of Wordle, filled up with a bank of words from Weezer songs, and it just has the best name, Weasel. And if you want even more Wordle, Jason shared a recent post from Robert Lesser at Observable, which synthesized a bunch of data around Wordle, like its spread in popularity over time, how many attempts it took people on average for each word, if Wordle is really getting harder, and how accurately tweets about Wordle reflect the true average experience. If you like data visualizations, even if you don't care about Wordle, I think you will dig it. Link to both are in the show notes. But that's it from me for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.